Hello, everybody. Welcome back into your latest episode of Locked On Colts, Prey Locked On Podcast Network. Today is I's host, Evan Setter, and you're by our, our bi-weekly guest on the show here throughout the offseason, George Bremer, the Herald Bulletin. Do that, George. Good. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. They skipped coming on as always, and we're joining you guys on the Tuesday here, late January. It's kind of in the middle of the dead period of the offseason, I'd say, George, because there's not the combine yet. The, the Senior Bowl just wrapped up. I feel like this is kind of the, the time the offseason where you can kind of speculate as far as what could happen next for this Colts team. And I feel like first you start off with the Senior Bowl. Obviously, the, every team meets every prospect there at the Senior Bowl, but just how important is this event for a guy like Chris Ballard? Yeah, it's huge. You know, he, he's talked about it several times. He really likes this event because you get to see guys go against other, you know, draftable players and so you know I think one of the things you hear scouts talk about a lot is that there's only a handful of plays in any given year that they can really uh, sink their teeth into because you know if, if Clemson for instance is playing uh, FCS school uh, you know that that whole tape might not be worth it anything to them I mean, there, might, there might not be one guy that, that they see the prospect go up against that, that they can really judge a talent level from but you get the senior bowl uh, there, it's really, to me, I look at it as almost like the start of the NFL preseason. I think the game itself is sort of like a preseason game. you got NFL coaching staffs there. Uh, practices are run like an NFL practice. And so, you know, you get a chance to see sort of what the guy will look like in your building. And I think Chris Ballard really highly values that because it is sort of a sneak preview of who they're going to be. Uh, you see him take, you know, usually three or four guys out of that game uh, every year. And I, I wouldn't see any reason this year would be any different. Yeah, it was actually really interesting, too, because I was just following along on Twitter and also watching the press on ESPN NFL Network, too. And um, I noticed a couple of people on Twitter. I don't know if they're just NFL draft writers there at the press or whatnot, but they, they tweeted out a couple of times pictures of Ed Dodds and Frank Reich watching the quarterbacks there. Jordan Love was also there, Justin Herbert. What was your impressions from watching those presses or games if you had the chance to, George, about Herbert and Love and if you had the chance to watch them much at all? Yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of it, uh, but from what I did see, it sort of confirmed a lot of what I felt like from watching them play during the season. You know, I think Herbert is probably a safer pick early on. I think he's further along right now as we sit and speak today. Uh, but I think that Love probably has the higher ceiling and the lower floor. So, you know, those are always things that, that, that you look at. Uh, you know, how do you want things to – what what do you weight more than the other – uh, I think if you're looking for upside, it's Jordan Love. If you're looking for more consistency, it's it's Justin Herbert. But I also think there's a decent chance neither one of them's there at 13. I really would be surprised if Herbert is. I expect him to be the third quarterback who goes in the top 10. And then, uh, you know, there's there's so much smoke right now around Jordan Love and the Colts. Not a big secret that that Chris Ballard's been an admirer for a while. Uh, you you start to see him linked to Indianapolis more and more in mock drafts and. Obviously, if there's a team picking below 13 that, that's watching this uh, and, and they are also feeling pretty good about that quarterback, you would think that they're, they're going to try to work a way to, to jump up there. It wouldn't surprise me to see that happen. Uh, to me, it, the draft is going to be very interesting in that regard because I think they're sitting at a spot at 13 where uh, there could be a guy following me. I think Dwayne Haskins went 15th last year, I think, to Washington, so it's not certainly out of the question. Uh, that, that you can see a quarterback fall into that spot, a guy that they might really like. Uh, but at the same time, there, there's enough QB needy teams above them uh, and teams that might be willing to trade out to, to, to another team that might be looking for one. Uh, it's always a crapshoot. Uh, 
and I think with those two guys, I think there's a good chance that at least one of them won't be on the on the board still when the Colts pick, and then possibly both. Yeah, I'm really glad I brought that up, George, because after this week, Justin Herbert definitely like soared his stock up as did Jordan Love, and the latest news about Philip Rivers, the Chargers moving on from him officially, according to Jay Glazer, I think that pretty much locks in Herbert at six at this point, I'd imagine. I think that's probably his his floor at this point, if not in a trip scenario. So that means three quarterbacks probably go in the top six, if you include Joe Burrow, Tua, and then Justin Herbert. Do you think if you're in the cold situation, let's say hypothetically George, they do love Jordan Love, and he's their guy at 13. Do you think they had the chance, do you think they had the patience to wait seven spots, possibly between six and 13 from the fall? Or do you think that they're okay moving, let's say, a third-round pick or a second-round pick plus 13 and move to, let's say, 10 or seven to get a guy like Jordan Love so you can officially get him instead of waiting? Yeah, to me, that's going to be the big evaluation piece of this, and that that's what's going to be interesting to see because, you know, we saw Washington last year sit tight and get Haskins, and then there was obviously people in that, you know, reports came out later. There were people in the organization that did not want him. Uh, the owner really was kind of driving that from, from what I've heard uh, or what I continue to hear in that situation, but they sat tight. You know, they waited and, and saw him fall there. We know that Ballard is confident enough to do that if that's the path that he takes. I think it's a Deep enough draft, there's enough other uh, talented positions in this prospect group that Ballard would probably feel confident that he would get somebody that he would like at 13 anyway. But I think the real question now is just how much does he like Jordan Love? How much is he all in? Because they've got the ammunition to do it. You know, they've got two second-round picks. They certainly could move up into that 7, 8, 9, 10 range if that's what they chose to do. Uh, but I think if he does make that move, I think even if he sits tight and takes him at 13, that's going to tell me that there's, there's real conviction on his part. And like I said before, if he takes any quarterback at 13, my eyebrows will really raise because at that point, I think things will get really interesting for this offseason. At that point, you know that they're all in on this guy. Maybe not necessarily for 2020, but certainly for 2021 and beyond. Uh, and I, I think that would be a move that would really get your attention if he takes anybody at 13. Uh, but if he trades up, if he goes up to seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that, we haven't seen him do that very often. Uh, we haven't seen him do it in round one, obviously. But he went up to get Kari Willis last year. We know that if he has that that feeling, uh, that conviction about him, he will do it. Uh, and so, to me, if they do trade up to get Jordan Love, that's going to be a big statement. And at that point, I would think they're thinking that maybe he could start as early as 2020. They sit tight and take him at 13. Uh, then it's probably more of a, a patient approach with him and, and letting him grow. Um, but to me, that's one of the many really, really intriguing things about this offseason, watching how that turns out. George, just how intrigued are you overall about just what direction Chris Barr can go in the first round of this draft? Because obviously there's no franchise quarterback anymore on the roster, and you have so many needs, defensive tackle, wide receiver. There could be a chance one of those elite wideouts drops 13, as well as defensive tackles like Kinlaw or Brown. Just how curious are you to see what direction Chris Bauer goes because this 2020 draft and that first pick is going to really have a domino effect here for the next couple of years. Oh, absolutely. I'm extremely interested to see, first of all, what happens in free agency because I think they will target a few guys. You know, they certainly have the money to do it, uh, and they have in the past. I think that's one of the misnomers. I think a lot of people tend to think that uh, they haven't gotten people because they haven't tried. It, Ballard, as we know, he, he's very – I don't think he's cost-conscious so much as he's very – committed into his process so once he sets a price on a guy he's going to stick to that that price and so you're not going to see him win a lot of bidding wars you're not going to see him panic as, as I like to say 
some GMs will do and, and go above that number uh, just to get it done. You know, he's not the type of guy, I guess, who will go into the offseason and say, I'm just going to throw a name out there. I've got to get Chris Jones no matter what. If I don't get him, it's a failure. That's not the way his process works. And so I think that's what you've seen more in free agency than anything else. Not that he doesn't check in on guys, and it's not that he isn't involved in talks at some point in the process. It's that once it reaches a point that he's not comfortable with, he is confident enough in his process and his evaluation and the way that he sets the table to walk away. Not every GM will do that. You know, guys will panic. Guys will say, I have to have this guy. I'm going to go to whatever price. That's not Chris Ballard. But that being said, I think it's going to be interesting. There are guys, I mean, I threw Chris Jones out there earlier. I think he's a guy, obviously, who was chief, uh, is, in, is a position of need at that defensive tackle spot. Uh, there are guys out there at quarterback that they could look at. There's guys at wide receiver that they could look at. I think you're going to see him at least dip, dip his toes into that market. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. And then that's going to set the, the table for the draft. And, you know, I mean, first and foremost, we got to get a decision on Anthony Costanzo. That, to me, is, is – Priority number one right now on the checklist. Might not be the most important thing overall in the offseason, but it's going to tell us what happens the rest of the way. When Anthony Costanzo makes a decision whether he's going to play next season or not, that'll tell you whether left tackle becomes a a position maybe at 13, whether it becomes a a free agency target. But even if he comes back, you mentioned defensive tackle. I I think that's a big – that three technique is a really big thing. There's a couple guys. A.J. Espinosa comes to mind right away from Iowa. A couple guys on the edge that they could look at. This receiver group seems extremely talented. I think there's guys there they could look at. But I even look at a guy like I think Isaiah Simmons from, from Clemson, who's kind of a, a multi-purpose tool on defense that might intrigue them uh, if they have a good plan for him. Uh, I, I really think that 13th pick, there's, there's a lot of reason to be excited about it and a lot of intrigue around there. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fun offseason trying to watch the way that process unfolds. I think the last draft question here I had for you, George, before you dive into a quick free agency topic that's really picking up news lately, it's about just the defense and the philosophy that Chris Ballard uses for that end of the, the field. And what really intrigued me in his end-of-season press conference, then going on Dan Dockett talking for him with about 40 minutes, that it's just like he really envies the rebuild that the 49ers did, that the Bills did, just going defense first and having – you don't really need an elite quarterback to win in this NFL, as you see with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's probably a top-10 quarterback. He's not really one who's going to carry the team, so to say, as we've seen so far in the playoffs. I think at 13, like you mentioned, there, Epinesa, Ken Law, one of those guys. Do you think Chris Ballard's kind of tipping his hand, so to say? Maybe it's not really tipping his hand, but that he really does, like, hopefully wants to get that defense in that kind of level of a Buffalo, San Francisco eventually? Oh, absolutely. You know, he's talked about that from the day that he came in. He wants – to be a really strong defensive team, and he wants to particularly be strong up front. So I think defensive line is going to be addressed, whether it's through free agency, whether it's early in the draft. Uh, I think there's going to be significant capital spent on the defensive line during this offseason, and probably most offseasons, quite honestly. I think that's something that he wants to do. Uh, to me, it was one of the more disappointing areas of the team last year. When you came into the training camp, and, and while you were there, you watched Danico Autry in, in training camp, you thought he was going to have a Pro Bowl season. Uh, he came out and he dropped in all the really important numbers. To me, one of the big ones is we know his sack numbers were down. Tackles for loss went from 13 in 2018 down to four this year. And I know that there were injuries and things that he was fighting through, but he actually played two more games than he did in 2018. Uh, that, that's a significant drop, and I think that was one of the bigger disappointments on this team. But the defensive line as a unit, you know, outside of Justin Houston, who was exactly who they thought they were getting, I don't know if anybody played at a level uh, – to where they would have been expected to be this year. Maybe Kamoko Ture, but he got injured so early, and that was another factor in that. 
think everybody else on some level, maybe Gro- Grover Stewart, I would, I would take out of this conversation. He, he kind of stepped forward, earned a starting job, uh, and really did a good job this year. But outside of him and Justin Houston, I don't know if you could name a defensive lineman who had a good year this year. And I think that's something that, that they did not feel very good about at all. I think it's going to be a major focus of this offseason, and particularly that three technique, but everywhere on that defensive line. The other thing about the defense as a whole that I think is interesting, you've seen them sliding a little bit towards incorporating some of the Seattle elements. Just They did a little wide nine this year on and off with Ben Banigou. I think they want to do more of that moving forward. Uh, I think you're going to see them try to incorporate some of the secondary techniques that the Seahawks use. They've been looking for long physical corners anyway. I think they're going to continue to do that. It's that Ed Dodd's influence, I think, coming into the team. And so I wonder if that might get ramped up a little bit more this year, too, as they look for ways to improve a defense that, frankly, collapsed at the end of the year. Uh, you know, I wonder if they will be more aggressive uh, and, and take some of those Seattle elements along for the ride as well. Before we go on to the next segment of our show here, I wanted to tell you guys to be on a rate to subscribe to Locked on Colts. We are not going to be stopping at all throughout the offseason. We're going to have on great guests throughout the, this time, free and the draft. Everything all about the NFL offseason is going to be included here on Locked on Colts. And it's the biggest offseason in Colts franchise history, at least one of them, in my opinion. So stay here, review, rate and review us on iTunes, wherever platform listening to us. We're on every single streaming platform so you can't miss out on Locked on Colts. So make sure to subscribe to the show. Let's get into our the big question from today, or really just the, the big news report from Dan Patrick earlier this morning. I assume you saw this to, as well, George, about Philip Rivers. He's heard from a source that Philip Rivers has been connected to the Colts, and this is also on top of the Jeremy Fowler report, I believe three weeks ago at this point, about Philip Rivers and the Colts being linked. So now there, there seems to be smoke behind this, George, with the Rivers to Colts connections. I know he just moved his family from California to Florida, so Tampa Bay has also been mentioned about a possible fit, but – What's your thoughts on Philip Rivers as a Colt, and what do you think of that possibility? Yeah, I think it makes sense. You know, I think we've talked about it before a little bit. I think it makes sense that there'd be interest that tires would be kicked. He's got a history with both Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich, uh, and a pretty good one. I mean, if you look at the numbers, the three years that Frank Reich was was with the Chargers, there were some really good things that were done. Uh, I think his completion percentage was really high all all three of those years. He threw for well over 4,000 yards all three of those years. Uh, I want to say he led the league maybe in touchdown passes one of those years. Um, you know, th- th- there's obviously a lot of other factors that go into play, but I think there's a comfort level, at least uh, the potential of a comfort level with him and, and Frank Reich. And I would think at this point in his career, that's something that would be very important to Philip Rivers. If I was him, I'm not necessarily speaking from any kind of source standpoint or anything like that, but if I was in his shoes and I knew I only had a few years left and I had to leave the only franchise I'd ever known, I think the fact that, that there's somebody that I've worked with before that I feel comfortable with on some level would play into it. Uh, I'm not saying it will necessarily for him, but I, to me, there's, there's some easy dots to connect there to interest. But I also think that there's a big leap from interest to action. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few weeks here, you know, leading up to free agency because there's lots of guys that the Colts have an interest in every offseason. But there's so many things that need to fall in place from, from money to, you know, the, the terms on the contract, the years, uh, just to the decision-making of Philip Rivers himself. And, you know, I think there would be some complications here with Jacoby Brissett. To me, if they draft a guy 
you can go ahead and, and keep Jacoby Brissett on the roster and maybe even make him the starter in 2020. If you bring in a guy like Phil Rivers, for me, from my standpoint, I'm not speaking for Chris Ballard or anybody else. For me personally, I find it hard to see where Brissett fits in that scenario. I know he was the backup to Andrew Luck. I know that that was his role here, but he just signed a deal to get starter money for two years. It cap wise, it could work. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure on some level, they wouldn't mind having a security blanket there as a backup. It just, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to have Jacoby Brissett on the roster with a veteran starter. And if that's the case, I think you have some difficulty moving him and, my understanding is if he were to be released, there'd be a $12.5 million cap hit. So whatever you would sign a Philip Rivers or whoever it may be for, you have to add $12.5 million onto that because of the Jacoby reset. That's just one factor that I'm throwing out there. That to me is interesting. There's, there's a million moving pieces like that. Uh, so to get to the point from where there's interest to where there's a signing, it's a long road, but it doesn't surprise me that, that Rivers' name would come up. And I also, you know, I, I would point out, I think every free agent quarterback's name is going to get linked to the Colts at some point yeah. because every agent's going to want the Colts in that mix. They, they, there's a need there. Everybody's well aware of it. They're going to have more money than anybody else coming into the offseason. Every agent's going to want the Colts associated with his quarterback's name. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And as far as Rivers goes, too, George, I feel like it could be more of an agent-driven report, too, because – they have the offensive line. They have his former coach and offensive coordinator there. They have all the pieces in place that Rivers would want there. Maybe maybe they're floating out there. Maybe the Colts more so aren't the ones interested there. Maybe Rivers came trying to drop interest from the Colts side of things. But if they were to go after Philip Rivers, George, like you mentioned, Jacoby Brissett would be really an awkward fit there between him and Rivers. Also, I think adding the point, it'd be either two things. They don't like Brissett at all. They've drafted quarterback two in April and have him mold behind behind Philip Rivers for a year or two. Or you just don't like the 2020 draft at all from a quarterback standpoint. So it'd be one of those two things, right, George, as far as you don't like Jacoby at all or, or that, or you just don't like the 2020 draft class. Yeah, I think it would have to be one of the two. You're either just giving up on Jacoby Brissett, which I don't, I don't get that sense that they're to that point where they're just ready to cut and bait with him completely. But we'll see. You know, maybe, maybe that will be the case. Uh, and then – or else you just did not like what you saw from the draft. You know, I think that would be the other – or you didn't feel like you would get the guy you want in the draft. I mean, that's – that's another part of this, too. You do your deal, due diligence because if you feel like Jordan – let's just throw him out there because he's the most often connected name to this team. If you feel like Jordan Love has moved up enough that he's not likely to be there at 13, you go and you get Phillip Rivers. And then if you're surprised on draft day, hey, you got Jordan Love as well. The, signing Rivers wouldn't at all preclude them from, from drafting a quarterback. And I think that's another reason why they could do it. For me, it's more on the Jacoby Brissett side of things. Let's close things out here, George, with our mailbag to close out today's show. It's a Twitter Tuesday here, so we're going to go to our Twitter account here, Locked on Colts. And the first one here is from Lucas Robbins, and he asks, with Las Vegas hosting the draft this year, doing it in front of the Bellagio, to me, Georgia looks kind of ridiculous with the way they're doing, going really over the top here. But if Indianapolis were ever to host the NFL draft, George, where would they put it at, and how would you go about doing it? Would it be the 500 track, Circle Center Mall, the, uh, the, the convention center? Where would you put it at? That'd be an interesting one, wouldn't it? I think they, I think there is some interest on Indianapolis' part in hosting the draft. It wouldn't surprise me uh, if, in the next couple of years, the combine moves out to LA, as has been long rumored, to the new complex out there. And if one of the things that the NFL does to kind of give a salve to Indy is to move the draft, you know, very quickly 
here thereafter uh, for a year. I, I think the city has done such a really good job over the years uh, with these big events. And I think this would be really unique, something they've never seen before. I hadn't even thought about it until you mentioned it. But personally, I think it would be a lot of fun to do it out at, at IMS if you could make it work uh, with Roger Penske and, and get all the deals signed into place and maybe even use cars in some fashion the way they're using boats out in, in Vegas. I think it would be a very interesting, very Indiana kind of thing to do. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with the Locked On Network to reach sports fans. But Matt not Locked On Colts are great for your local business to reach passionate sports fans too, like Colts fans. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener. A Locked On podcast listener, if your company wants to connect with their Colts fans and a predominantly male audience in that, that is well-educated with disposable income, unless you put your company right here on this Locked On podcast, local fans that support local businesses too. So text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe after the draft goes, like they get drafted, they ride in a pace car around the laps for the fans or something. That'd be pretty cool. I honestly wouldn't mind that. But uh, next question here, as well as from Lucas, and he asks, What's one under the radar free agent that you could see the Colts scooping up at and making an impact this offseason? If you thought of that. Yes. Yeah. You haven't really uh, spent a lot of time yet looking into that. Uh, really just starting kind of that process to see who's out there. Uh, he's not under the radar at all, but I really think if, if he is on the market, I, you know, I mentioned him earlier, I think Chris Jones is a guy that makes sense for so many reasons. Uh, he's a guy that, that Ballard was involved with bringing into Kansas City. So there's a relationship there, much like there was with Justin Houston. I think that helps out giving Ballard confidence to give one of those big contracts, knowing a guy that well. Uh, but, you know, I, I would keep an eye on some corners. Because I think they're always looking for depth there. Uh, I, I think tight end it would be an interesting spot if they if they see a, a athletic pass catching type of tight end that they could grab uh, kind of underneath the radar. Obviously, receivers going to be that way. Uh, and I, I, whether it's the draft or free agency, they need to add depth on the offensive line. I think Ballard mentioned that during his interview with Dockage, um, and especially at tackle. You know, whether Andy Santos back or not. I think they could be in the market to find a swing tackle. Uh, it's something that Joe Hegg's done a good job with the last couple of years. Uh, but both him and LaRaven Clark, I think, are scheduled for free agency. There's a chance either one of them come back. Uh, and I think whether it's the draft or free agency, they've got to go and find depth at, at offensive tackle. Next question here as well. Where, which rookie from last year's draft class in 2019 do you expect the biggest jump from in year or two? I think the easy answer here would be Paris Campbell because of the injuries, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I was going to say, that one's real easy. It's, it's Paris Gamble because I think the, the few times you saw him on the field, you saw flashes. I go back to the Pittsburgh game, and he had a ton of yards uh, all over the field in the return game, carrying the ball, catching the ball. Uh, but he was still rusty, and you could tell he dropped it a couple times because he hadn't really been out there very often. Uh, I think he's a guy that, that could really make a huge leap. Uh, the other guy to keep an eye on, I think, is EJ Speed. Ballard's mentioned him a couple times already in the offseason. Uh, you got to remember, this is a guy who was a wide receiver who they're moving to defense. It was a big learning curve for him. Uh, but I think he's a guy that they feel like can, can have a role for this team in the near future. Next question from Theo Zacker. He asks, if the Colts are able to draft either Jordan Love or Justin Herbert, how quickly do you believe that they will be given an opportunity to start? 
<laughs> yeah, I kind of touched on that a little bit at the beginning. I, I think Herbert would be a guy who could compete day one. I really do. Um, and I think if, if he were to fall into the Colts lap or they were to go up and, and get him, I think he's a guy that, you know, they would be open to that idea. I think he's more NFL ready, more, uh, more polished, has, has more of his game together. Jordan Love, I think, is a guy who definitely could start uh, in year one, but I think he's a guy who would, who would do well in that Patrick Mahomes kind of role, you know, sitting behind a veteran, uh, watching for a year, and, and then taking over once he's ready and, and has some experience under his belt. Next one here from Clayton Patterson. He asks, is there any way that the Colts believe that they, they could just get weapons like a Jerry Judy or Justin Jefferson for a Phil Rivers or a Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think wide receivers very much in play at 13. I think had Andrew Luck not retired, well, first of all, Colts probably wouldn't be picking 13th. But had he not retired, I think that would be the position we're all talking about right now. I think that was the the plan that Ballard had gone into. I I had heard a couple times during the draft process last year uh, that part of the reason that he really only went after Funchess in, in free agency was that he really, really liked this wide receiver class. And that they were, you know, planning on on getting involved with that. Uh, I don't know how heavily. I don't know if they'd go after two receivers or not. I don't think it'd be out of the question completely. I think there's enough other needs, though, other places that that I don't know that they'd go that early where you would get like Judy and Jefferson. Uh, but I could definitely see them taking a receiver at 13 and then coming back in the third or fourth round and and getting another guy who they feel like could help. Next question here from Jay Louise, 138, and he asks, how curious are you to see, George, will the Colts go BPA on the draft or, or quarterback because there could be a Ken Law available, or do they? how much do they trust their evaluation of the quarterbacks? I, pretty much what the question is, George, is do, does Chris Bauer believe that they could spend a 13th pick on a Jordan Love or some other quarterback ahead of, let's say, like an elite defense talent? Yeah, that's kind of what we were talking about before. He would have to have really great conviction. He would have to feel like that guy either is the guy right now or will be very soon. I don't think he's going to take a lottery ticket, so to speak, a scratch-off kind of a guy at 13. If, if he grabs a quarterback at 13, it will be because he believes that that is the future quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Whether that's September or whether it's 2021 or 2022, that, that part can vary. Uh, but I cannot see him just sort of taking a flyer on a quarterback, uh, and especially with so many other needs. I mean, when you look at Javon Kinlaw, you look at this receiver group, uh, potentially an offensive tackle could come into play there. And, and we know his philosophy has always been best player available anyway. I think he's more a guy who is – he would rather take a guy a little too soon who he completely believes in, like Darius Leonard. A lot of people thought he, he, he took him too soon. Uh, then he would let a good player slip by. And so, I, to me – it all comes down to, to that unknowable part. How much does he like Justin Herbert? How much does he like Jordan Love? Uh, if that conviction's there, then – and they go at 13, like I said, that to me will be a big, loud statement to everybody that this is the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. This is the franchise guy. Uh, but I think he, he'll he, – I don't think he would lose any sleep at night if he walked away from the QB class in the first round and took another position to need. Last question to Milbag here from the spoken word for you, George. And he says, any names emerging for our defensive line coach so far? Surprising it's taken this long. Yeah, no, that's been all quiet on that front. Uh, obviously, they've been interviewing guys. Frank Reich said at the Senior Bowl that something could be coming soon. And I wonder, too, if it's not tied into that other position that Reich mentioned. To me, that's really interesting that they've talked about 
another coaching spot potentially being added to this this coaching staff. And so I don't know if maybe that's a tandem thing. They're waiting to to announce them together uh, or, or how that might work. But that, to me, is something really to watch. What is that position and who might that guy be? All righty, George, can't let you go here before because we're not going to be talking again before this ends. And it's a Super Bowl come up here, the Chiefs and the 49ers. I've been waffling back and forth myself mm-hmm. today. I've been pretty heavy Chiefs for the first few days, but then over the last few days, I've been thinking just the 49ers are the better overall team here. But the, the Chiefs have that quarterback in Mahomes here with the huge edge there. So where are you leaning? Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a great game. I really do. And I've been going back and forth. But I picked Kansas City at the beginning of the year way back in, in September, and so I feel like I can't abandon that pick now. Uh, and it, it really is Mahomes. He's the reason I picked him then, and he's the reason I think – I just feel like if he's got the ball at the end of the game, he's one of those guys. Tom Brady, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, the guys we've seen win Super Bowls because they had the ball last. I feel like Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. If I had to lean right now, I'd probably say the, four, uh, the Chiefs probably won by three or four points, but it's going to be a really, really good game. I think it's going to be a shootout too. But, George, it's going to be a really fun offseason here for the Colts, and it's going to be one of the more intriguing ones in the past few decades or so, I'd say. So you guys can follow George on Twitter, at GM Bremer. Read his content over at the Herald Bowl. Thanks again, George. Appreciate the time. No problem. Anytime. Thanks a lot.